This is Hallway Chats, where we meet people who use WordPress. We ask questions, and our guests share their stories, ideas, and perspectives. And now the conversation begins. This is episode 80. Welcome to Hallway Chats. I'm Tara Clays. And I'm Liam Dempsey. Today, we're joined by Max and Becca Rice. Max is the CEO and co-founder of Skyverge, where his team builds tools for e-commerce merchants, both large and small. Becca is the head of product at Skyverge and manages Jilt, an email marketing tool for e-commerce, along with over 50 WooCommerce plugins. Hello, Max. Hello, Becca. Hi. Hi, y'all. Hi, welcome. Glad to meet you and see you here today. Can you tell us more about yourselves? One of you can start. Sure thing. So uh, I'm Becca, and uh, I uh, grew up in the Philadelphia area. So uh, Liam and I uh, chatted our local Burbs meetup, which is uh, how we met. Um, and I've been working with WordPress since uh, I think 2009 or so. Uh, in college, I used it for some school projects, and uh, these days have uh, started, you know, used it for work for about four years now. Uh, getting into WooCommerce, which is what got me actually into like developing things for WordPress. So these days, I spend a lot of time uh, in the WooCommerce admin, but uh, in the Shopify admin as well, working with a lot of e-commerce merchants. So I'm Max. Uh, grew up in the Philadelphia area as well. Um, CEO at Skyverge. Uh, our team is uh, about 20 people these days. We started around six years ago, uh, 100% remote. Um, I got started with WordPress, I think, back in 2009 as well. Uh, I was first building a, a real estate website for a local real estate agent uh, and just sort of got into it and started working with it and uh, then later got into WooCommerce. And we've been doing development for that for a number of years, did a little bit of core development, and it's just been, it's been a, a wild ride. What is it about WooCommerce or what attracted you to WooCommerce and so, e-commerce in general, I guess? For me, it was uh, uh, the company that I was working at. It's a local pharmaceutical company and they asked me to redo their e-commerce website. And so I was looking around for what, are the, what is a good platform. Uh, and at the time, WooCommerce had just sort of came out. It was maybe six months old. And I could either do a totally custom e-commerce build. It would have been like $45,000 or you could do it with WooCommerce and it would have been maybe like $500 in extensions. And so I was talking to my boss and he was like, well, this is an easy decision. I was like, yeah, cool. So we'll start building it. And at the time there wasn't an extension for Kissmetrics. And so I had a little bit of development experience from college. So I built the extension, put it on wordpress.org, got a little bit of interest. And then 80 from WooThemes reached out to me and said, Hey, this looks really cool. You should put it on our store. I'm like, wow, that, yeah, that sounds great. Uh, and put it on the store. And this was like 20 July, 2012. It had like two sales the first month. And I was like, this is amazing. I didn't have to do any work for this. <laughs> uh, and so after that, we just started kind of doing more and more and more and more. And here we are today. That's a WooCommerce extension empire. <laughs> yeah. Well, it certainly seems to be a big focus when you look around in social media about WordPress. There's just a lot of activity around WooCommerce. And we've talked to some people on our show who don't want to touch e-commerce. It seems like there are people who, who either love it and want to do it. And then there are people who really just don't, don't want to deal with it. It can be very complicated, I think. And 
you're dealing with there's a lot of balls in the air and and uh so the fact that you've jumped in and and become a big name in that space is great um jilt i've seen a lot too and that seems like a product that's becoming more and more important and talked about and can you tell us a little bit about that product yeah, sure thing. So uh, from my end, managing product for all of our extensions, uh, a lot of what I do is customer research and customer development interviews and trying to you know, talk a lot to people, what are the challenges that your business is facing? And one of the most common things we heard over and over and over again was, you know, I, uh, I'm not sure how to get traffic to my store and I'm not sure how to make the most of this traffic. Like, what, how should I be marketing to these people? You know, I know email is effective. How should I be using email? And, you know, for us, we had built a lot of tooling, right? A lot of plugins that would let you, you know, export orders and add notices on your site and, and do all of these things with your site. But uh, we hadn't done a lot um, in the marketing side of things. And we felt like this was a problem that people were under, you know, these people in e-commerce were underserved. You know, they have a lot of tools that are built to be generic email marketing solutions and nothing that was really tailored uh, for an e-commerce experience that was also easy to use and help people, you know, not only do... Uh, send emails, but understand how, how to have an email marketing strategy. And so that coupled with Max's experience in, you know, working with a small e-commerce store, uh, we sort of said, you know, we, this is a problem we can solve. And Jolt kind of came out of that uh, frustration that we felt from a lot of merchants in terms of not having a solution that was built for them. So that's almost like the, the retail brook and mortar where, you know, they can put up their products on the shelves and, and rent the retail space and throw the sign out front that says we're open and that's well and good. But when you show up to connect, for example, the, the payment uh, for the till, they say, well, that's great, but how do I help people? How do I actually sell things? You know, I've got people here. So that's interesting that you, you make software, you're not a marketing consultancy. I don't think either of you mentioned any kind of uh, marketing kind of background or, or, or interest in a professional way, but there you were, delivering software solutions to to address that exact need. That's really interesting. What was the ramp up time on that? So at some point, somebody on the team said, this is probably something we, we could do. And then the decision was, yeah, all right, let's do it. Then what happened? Yeah, I think it's something we had in, we had in the back of our minds for, for a while. And one of the ways that we grew as a company was acquiring a lot of other products from the developers. And so we had always, we'd, we had done quite a bit in the WooCommerce space, about half of our portfolio actually of 60 is probably, was probably acquired over a number of years. Uh, we did a bunch of that in the Shopify space as well. And so we'd always sort of kept our ear to the ground for different opportunities. And one of the opportunities that came up was Jill, and this was in late 2014. And it originally was just sort of an abandoned cart platform for uh, Shopify and developer. We had talked to him for a number of years and said, hey, if you're ever interested in selling, let us know. And so in late 2014, he reached out and was like, Hey, I'm shutting it down. I have some technical issue with it. I'm just not interested in running anymore. So we acquired sort of everything from it, uh, all the IP and the customer base and everything like that. And so it was originally just for Shopify. And then we immediately saw an opportunity where we can take this and we can expand it into the WordPress space. We can bring it to WooCommerce with our experience there. And we started down the path then of making it cross-platform and sort of growing. Um, and it's turned into quite a bit more these days than what it, what it did uh, originally. Yeah. And to add to that, you know, we... It ended up being perfect timing because, you know, we you're like, you know, we really need to move into this email space. And, and we had kind of looked at, the, you know, this app in the past to acquire it, but didn't really move into it seriously. And uh, for us, you know, we knew we were going to build it anyway. So we ended up actually rebuilding the app completely as soon as we acquired it. But what it did give us was an existing Shopify app listing and a customer base that we could then continue to talk to and do interviews with. 
uh, so that when we rebuilt this app, we had a, a really great understanding of, uh, of what we were going to be building and, and what needs this app was solving already, but what other things these customers wanted it to do. So that's neat. And I, I just want to touch on buying products because that's so not what I do. Tara and I are both in service providers for service consultants and certainly within the WordPress environment. And I know nothing about Shopify, so I'll just focus on WordPress. There's a lot of plugins, a lot of plugin businesses that are side gigs. So somebody works full time or 30 hours a week for this agency or that agency, or maybe they work for themselves, but they're plugin. They'll give them eight, 10, 15, 30,000 a year, but not enough to really pay for everything. And I wonder with your experience of buying plugins, is that mostly your experience as you were looking about the marketplace and acquiring, were you mostly acquiring from a call it part-time product shops or did you buy up products off a company that just didn't want to carry on with that? What, What was that experience like? Um, it was definitely, uh, the former, a lot of, I think, freelance developers and designers, uh, especially things that came out of client projects. So a client says, I want to do integration with this thing or this sort of idea. And so it would build, especially in WooCommerce, they would build that product and then put it in the marketplace. And over time we would just reach out basically to everyone in the marketplace, whoever would listen to us and say, Hey, if you're ever interested in selling, if you're just not interested in maintaining anymore, let us know, we'd love to buy it. Uh, and that strategy worked really well, especially in the early days when I don't think that uh, maybe people didn't take WooCommerce that seriously or they didn't think it was going to be a serious thing. And so certainly an element of luck there that we just sort of chose correctly that WooCommerce would turn into a much bigger thing. Um, and the strategy just worked, it worked out really well for us. So that's neat. And I, and I wonder about the, the purchase of where well, you're not just buying the, the software, uh, maybe with Jilt where there is an IP and there is a client base and there is a, was that like, Hey, we want to buy this company. We should probably talk to a lawyer to make sure that we buy everything that we need and that we don't forget, for example, the IP or whatever that other thing is like, Oh yeah, we need to go back and buy that too. I still hope they're around. What was that like? Uh, it, it maybe wasn't as rigorous in the early days as, the, as it should have been. I, you, you sort of learn some of the stuff as you go along or you go and you say, Hey, you go to the, the attorney, uh, and you go, Hey, by the way, we bought this. He says, well, where's your agreement? What do you mean? Agreement? And so <laughs> we got a little bit more sophisticated at it, uh, over time. And we never, I think, especially in the, in the WooCommerce space, we never had too many concerns because the people that we were talking to were, you know, they were developers we were working with every day, either on the core or we were doing client project or whatever it was. And so we never felt like we were going to have issues there. It's sort of just a friendly, Hey, they don't want to you know, deal with the maintenance or the support every day. And we we're like all about doing that sort of thing. So it, a lot of times it was a really, really great fit. And, and sometimes uh, they were, they didn't want to do WooCommerce work anymore. They were going to go work on some other types of projects. And so they might have a handful of extensions that we'd say, well, we'll just buy all of them, whatever you have, we'll buy it. Uh, and that, that, that turned out really well too. Yeah, I think that what sort of forced that rigor for us is when we started to do larger acquisitions. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, when you're acquiring a plugin that someone's selling and it's got a couple of sales a month and, you know, you're, you're not talking a lot of money. It's like, you know, I'm going to send you a few thousand dollars in cash for, for, for this plugin. Uh, you have that certain degree of flexibility where it's, it's not a big deal and it's more of a handshake thing. Once we started to get into acquisitions that were you know much larger, like, you know, five and six figures, then it became like, Maybe we should maybe we should be really serious about this yeah. and go through you know a few rounds of, of ensuring that we've done our due diligence here in terms of the way we've analyzed the you know the net present value of this acquisition as well as the the contract and the purchase agreement around it. 
Yeah. And I, th- I think we think we got, we got more comfortable over time. So the first one we did was maybe a thousand dollars or something like that. And we sort of built up over time a couple of years. in. I think the largest one we did was maybe 110,000 or a little bit, a little bit more than that. And by that point we were more sophisticated. We had, we had known some of the things we should ask and, and some of the things that we should look at. So definitely not something if I was going to do it over again, I wouldn't start, try to start at the higher end. Um, it helps to start kind of with something small. I'd like to switch gears and ask you about your working relationship. So you run this company together and you're related to each other. <laughs> uh, how does that work out? What, how did that develop and how does that work for you? Yeah. So we never intended to be like, you know, a working couple, right? It's like, uh, some people think, you know, Oh, well you work with your spouse. That's great. And, uh, it's, it's definitely not all sunshine and roses and you have, you know, work <laughs> arguments and then, you know, it's like you then continue to spill over dinner. Right. And it's like, you know, this was, I, I think this was stupid. We shouldn't have done this. Right. So uh, I would say it's not, it's not for everybody. Uh, and we didn't intend to do it at all. I had been teaching full time uh, at Exeter high school in Reading. And uh, for me, I had used WordPress for our softball website and my classroom website. And so when Max and uh, Justin, who's the other co-founder uh, had, been building all of these extensions. And they said, look, we're not great at writing documentation and telling people how to use them. We're great at writing the code and, and turning out a good product. So since you know how to use WordPress and you know how to you know, install plugins yourself, why don't you play with this WooCommerce thing and, and write documentation to tell people how to use this? And so for me, I kind of uh, reluctantly got roped into it. Um, and at that point, grew from the point where I was doing just documentation. And now it was like, great, you have the documentation. Now you can answer pre-sales questions. Now that you've been answering pre-sales questions, now you can help with support. And it got to the point where, you know, we had dipped our toes in and it was working pretty well. And so I, I was essentially doing full, two full-time jobs. Max started to leave, you know, his, his uh, full-time job and, and kind of transition full-time into Skyverge. And uh, it's harrowing to have, you know, the both of you working in the same company as a startup and it feels pretty financially risky um, as a couple to do that. But uh, we had, you know, had saved up an emergency fund and, and things were going really well. And given that we could have this kind of remote work lifestyle, uh, it was, it was pretty important to us to do that. So that was when we decided to actually jump full in and say like, yeah, okay, you're going to be employee number one. And, and we're actually going to do this and not just like, you know, a, a moonlighting nights and weekends type thing. Yeah. I think we had a lot of practice too doing it over, over the years. It was definitely day one. It wasn't, uh, I wouldn't say it was wonderful. And you sort of, you get, Sometimes you get in those situations where you work all day and then you start to talk at dinner and you start to work into the evening. And so you kind of have to analyze kind of how are things going? Maybe, maybe we should make more of a separation there or we could get an office or whatever it is. And so we've experimented quite a bit over, over the past couple of years and kind of gotten into, you know, something that works well uh, for us. Do you do anything to um, attentively separate work from your relationship? Is it something that you tend to, or is it natural? Does it happen sort of naturally? You talk about dinner conversations and that type of thing, but is it something that you work on or is it just kind of organic? From my perspective, maybe Beck will will show this (laughs) on this one. Uh, I, it feels organic to me. I think it's, it's natural. Uh, if we were going to dinner, for example, or whatever, it's natural to maybe cover something that we were thinking about during the day or whatever, and then just swap over to something that's totally different and talk about family or, or whatever it may be. Uh, and so uh, we, we talk quite a bit and quite a bit during the day. And it's funny, you know, Becca's in the other room next to me, but during the day, we very rarely were actually talk to each other in person and mostly over Slack. And so I think part of that comes from being a remote company and that's sort of just how we do things. Um, but it feels, it definitely feels organic to me. Yeah. I was, yeah. The thing that 
people uh, sort of ignore, I think, is that, you know, you talk to your spouse about work, right? So even if you don't work together, right, you ask, like, how are things going or whatever. So we do have some of that that's, you know, quote unquote, outside of work. Um, but especially during the day, we try to make sure that, you know, we're not in our bubble and then we're communicating about things and the team's not doing that. So we actually try to push a ton of conversation into Slack. Um, and our team really tries to default to using like open uh, channels. We don't use a lot of, you know, like uh, locked or, or team uh, channels in Slack. So we try to push a lot of conversation, you know, into, into the public sphere. Um, and then from a personal perspective, uh, you can call timeout and say, you know, like, I just wouldn't need to get away from this for a while. But for the most part, I think you get, you know, kind of similar to balance to what most people would be, which is like, oh, what were you working on today? How is that going? You know, whatever. And the kind of the similar things that everybody else, you know, does with their spouse. I really like that timeout practice. And that's something I needed with, with my wife as, you know, we were going from dating to married to married longer and longer. And my wife is very, very smart and intellectually very quick on our feet. And I'm pretty thick on my feet. And conversations didn't end well because I just couldn't keep up. And uh, But the ability to say, hey, you know what? This is important, but not right now. I need time. We'll talk about it Tuesday when we both get done for the day. So it's a real time. It's not just an indefinite, we'll get to it, leave me alone. But yeah, that's a that's an important kind of pause button to be able to have that. Absolutely, yeah. And, and you know, it, it's just one of those things that you learn over time, right? It's like at first, it's like you realize you're driving each other nuts. And then after a little while, you learn how to kind of uh, have these cycles that you go through. So since we're talking about you, and we've spun on from talking about business, and we know a little bit about how you both got into where you're at today. I'd like to ask you about success. And I wonder, and you can answer this collectively if you prefer to answer it individually, what are your definitions of success? Maybe personal, maybe professional, maybe a mix of both. I think uh, for me, so from a personal perspective, and it's something I've thought a lot about, and I don't know that I have, I don't have a great answer maybe. Um, but what I'm, the way I'm currently thinking about it is just enjoying what you do every day. And some, sometimes that can mean work. Uh, sometimes that can mean something, a hobby or, or whatever it is that you're doing. But it's not maybe so much driving towards like pure happiness or a state of happiness, but it's just really, really enjoying being engaged in what you're doing every day. Uh, and that's, that's how I'm currently defining success maybe from a, a personal perspective. Uh, professionally, I think... Uh, I spent a lot of time thinking about how we build uh, a company that can last. Uh, I really want our company to be around in five years and 10 years and 15 years and trying to take that long-term perspective and think about, okay, what are the, what are the factors that are involved in that? And, that? and so if that's what success is and how do we do, what do we do today to influence that, uh, to influence that. And, and I think that for me means a lot of a work on, on our people and sort of making that the, uh, the team is really happy to work on the stuff they're working on. They're really excited to come into work. Um, customers are getting a ton of value out of the products and we're just really sort of excited as a company. And there's a whole bunch, whole ton of stuff that we try to do around that, um, to, to be successful in that way. And that's, that's sort of, I think how I think about it. And Becca? For me, I think, uh, you know, there's, there's personal successes in terms of like, you know, where I want to be with, with my work and whatnot. And one of those is that, uh, I feel the need to constantly be challenged, (laughs) And so having come from a background of athletics, I'm, I'm super competitive. And, uh, you know, if I were working on the same thing every day for, for five years, uh, I'd be, I'd be bored. Right. 
know, there's easy jobs and that'll be great, you know, and, and I can, and I can't do an easy job where I just come in and I do the same thing every day. And then I go home and, and just disengage, you know, I like to constantly have problems and constantly be, be solving things. So for me, the, the stuff that we do with software is, is why I love doing what we do because it's constantly changing. You constantly have to evolve your thinking and, and sort of, you know, think from first principles and like, we do this this way, but should we do it this way? Why do we do it this way? You know, are there better ways that we could do this? Um, as a company, I think that, uh, it's, I see it as sort of an extension of, of that base class, if you will, right? <laughs> like if that if that drive is something that is important to me, I think that that extends that into our products to constantly say, you know, we've done it this way and this is the way the product has worked, but can we make it better? Can we make better decisions, you know, for our users? Can we build something that's, that's uh, more fun to use? And we spend a lot of time, you know, trying to be in that space to be successful with products. You know, we want to make things that uh, get out of people's way. That, that you don't think about using it because it's intuitive and it, it feels right. And it, it's sort of a nebulous thing, but uh, kind of going through that iterative process of constantly you know, breaking down, are we doing this the best way? Um, I think it helps to drive the success for what we see with our products. Yeah, as it relates to your products, and when I look at your website at on Jill, you talk about an ROI. So like in a very tangible level, you're dealing with success in a monetary way every day with the products that you're selling, which are really focused on how to measure that success. So, um, and and looks like you have some great statements to make about that with your product that you have in terms of the ROI that you that you that you suggest. Um, but how I guess how do you measure that in your in a less tangible way? your definition of success? Yeah, I think for Jilt, um, you know, the, the ROI that someone gets from it, it has to be very clear, right? It's like, you know, if I, if I send these emails, you know, what, what kind of money is it going to drive for me? And so, uh, I think that's a great hook to get people in. Right. And certainly, um, it's, it's the one thing they care about initially, but on an ongoing basis, there, there are different needs, Right. And so you have this kind of like pyramid of needs that you have to hit with a product. And so uh, that initial justification of why should I pay for this <laughs> is, is a really early one. But over time for us, you know, success uh, expands on that. And it's not just the amount of revenue this drives, but uh, we also evaluate, you know, is this building better relationships with your customers? So internally, you know, we try to look at when you installed Jilt, you know, what was the average number of orders per customer versus, you know, over time? Right. Has that increased as you've as you've been using Jilt? Do customers reply to the emails that you send to them? So for us as a product, uh, there's a relationship component to this that's very important to us um, for, for merchants who are using it to build their relationships with their customers, um, because many of them are small businesses, niche businesses. And so this relationship is their differentiating factor, their, their USP, right, versus like some you know faceless thing like these days you can't get a hold of someone in the Amazon really easily. Right. You used to be able to, not as much anymore. Um, but then from us looking at our product, right? So that drives success for our merchants. Our success is when we look at our merchants and the way they use it. And uh, we do a lot of feedback and like, you know, watching hot jar recordings and trying to trying to see like how are people using this product? Um, because the success for us is like, do they are they being successful? Is this meeting their needs? But then is it also something that when we watch them use it and when we get feedback from them, that they enjoy it. Right. And I think it's pretty rare for someone to say, like, I like to use this. You know, you're like, oh, it does what I need and it has these features. But like, do you like to use it? Does it meet those needs? And it's something that you feel like is clear, that mm. you feel like does what you want, that you feel like you can bend to your will without having to like learn it or force it, that like, you know, it, it sort of understands what you want out of it. And um, it's it's not something that it's easy for us to quantify, but that's why we try to have really great feedback loops with customers for us. We know we've made a good product when someone's like, I love using this. It's awesome. It does what I want. And I love to use it. Right. That's it. 
that's a good element to dig into. I'd like to go ask about Max's definition a little bit and, and that he he thinks far down the road. And so I want to talk a little bit about WordPress and what role WordPress plays. I know that you don't only work with WordPress, so uh, but there is a big community in WordPress and that's how we have encountered you guys. So we like to touch on the WordPress community and and what that means for you guys, how you're involved in it, and I guess relating to your success definition, how you see that fitting into your long-term with all the changes that are happening in WordPress. I think uh, for me, it's the one thing about the WordPress community is always so welcoming. Everyone's so willing to help. And especially like when I first got started with back in 2009, and I mean, I really had no idea what I was doing. Sort of one of those situations that I shouldn't have agreed to build the site because I really didn't know how to do it. But I was like, well, I guess I'll figure it out. Um, and so to get the help from, from people in the community, be like, I took on this site to build a real estate site. Like, how do I do it? And, and people were just super welcome. You're like, okay, so here's some things you could look at and so on and so forth. And that's been true uh, over time for uh, for pretty much every area that I looked at. And as we get, as we got more into WooCommerce, uh, it, you know, being able to interact with the core developers there and just sort of, the whole, I think, everything in the community just sort of has always been that way. Um, and so we've, we've tried to be the same way when people are, we have a whole bunch of like articles on skybridge.com on how to customize different things. And sort of when people are asking questions or comments, we're trying to help and, 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 and get people along in that respect. Um, so I think that's, that's has been my experience. Uh, and over the, one of the interesting things, I think, over the past year, um, that's a little bit different than we haven't done previously, is we started to sponsor a lot more WordCamps. And so we sponsored eight over the past year. Beck and I, I think attended seven. We just just were at uh, WordCamp US. And that was sort of a new experience for us. We had attended them previously, but sponsoring was sort of a very new thing. Um, and it was, it, was, it was wonderful. It was just talking to everyone in the community and also all the different kinds of uh, you know, designers and developers, just everyone and all the cool things that they're doing with WordPress. Um, that was, I think it's, that was just a wonderful experience. And I'm happy that we sort of took a little bit of a gamble to say, you know, Jilt is maybe uh, a little uh, tangential to, to, you know, just direct WordPress. It's, you know, on e-commerce that you have to use and WooCommerce and so on and so forth. But it worked out really, really well for us. Um, when I think about that long term, I, I, I guess I kind of think back to the different points in at least WordPress history since I've been in the community and sort of the evolution of the platform towards all this different sort of stuff that you can build on top of it. And, and I know I'm super excited for the future. I, I think what what's happening with Gutenberg. There's a lot of like cool stuff and bringing sort of the, uh, the experience, uh, along. And I think when I, when I'm looking out, you know, five, 10, 15 years, if WordPress has been able to kind of evolve from the very early days to now and still be very, very dominant, very, uh, very accessible, I think it's a very good chance that it's going to be that way in the future as well. Yeah. I think that community, you know, breeds that resiliency. Right, that has changed a lot since since we've been in it, and it continues to change. But you have these people who, you know, I've seen a lot of it in the past week, right? Where it's like, you know, Gutenberg's out, and uh, and everybody publishing, you know, these things about building your own blocks. I have one queued up myself because when we dug into it, it's like, you know, how to build a block with, um, you know, vanilla Java, uh, JavaScript or CoffeeScript, which is what you know we've we've used in the past. Um, because there's a lot that's using ESNext and 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 not vanilla JavaScript, right? And so those contributions to to the community. Um, you know, from, from all of these teams working on it, I think breeds that resilience and, and no matter what amount of changes we've had recently kind of helps people sort of weather it and learn and elevate, you know, the overall quality of the ecosystem as a whole. Thank you for that. I'm going to ask our other signature question about advice. And that is, uh, if you could share with us 
the best advice that you've received, one thing that you recall being advised uh, and how you've implemented that in your life? So uh, mine is actually one from Max, which I know he's stolen from a couple places. That's um, helped me as I've, I've managed more people on my team, which is that you can always tell someone to go to hell tomorrow. <laughs> and so uh, oh, the way I we- that. <laughs> that is good. <laughs> it's definitely oh. one that uh, I know that was probably not what you expected. <laughs> Certainly uh, uh, a non-standard piece of advice, but kind of what we think about with it is, um, you know, you can always tell someone they're wrong later, or you can always kind of like, you can, you can say, if you feel like you're right about something or you feel like someone's done something wrong, you can pocket it. It'll still be there. And so as a manager, and as I've kind of been learning how to you know, manage a team and not just do work, but help other people do better work. Um, you know, I've drawn on a lot of experiences. One being, you know, a lot of the things I've done as a teacher and, and it's very easy to correct people. I was disappointed that you did this. I don't think this was the best way to do it. You know, this is the thinking I would have expected here, right? That's an easy way to do it. But the thing is, like, I can tell you that tomorrow. I can tell you that later, right? What's going to help you and what's going to help me is for me to say, why did you do this this way? What was the thought process here? Can you walk me through this? So, okay, so if you thought this, you know, why not this? And so, you know, giving yourself that patience, uh, I think is, is for me what it mostly is, is a reminder to be patient. Like, I can tell them they're wrong later. Um, but it helps us kind of, you know, learn that mentorship path and learn how we work together better. Um, and then, you know, I can always say later, so I appreciate that you thought of these things, but I'm still disappointed in this work. And I can say that at any point. Yeah. Holding off on that knee-jerk response is sometimes so hard to do, but most of the time when you do that knee-jerk response, you regret it afterwards. So I think that's great advice. Yeah. I think, you know, it, there's this temptation, right, to, to be very like open and honest uh, with your team right away. And it is important to be open and honest with your team, but there is, the, you know, the importance of understanding you know, why they, like where they've come from when they when they reach a conclusion or when they do something and so you know you can still give that honest and open feedback but you know it doesn't have to, you can do it at any time right it's still going to hold true no matter whether you know you dig into like their thinking or their reasoning behind it uh and so it's better to, to hold off on that and do that later yeah it probably applies outside of the workplace as well i think in personal relationships it's also sometimes good to take a breath and let something settle in before you respond to it as well so i love the way that you stated it though i've made a note of that <laughs> how about you max uh for me it, what, what comes to mind is something that it probably applies to both uh, uh personal and, and professional life um and it's to be generous uh to be you know generous with your time your money your knowledge and it came from the owner of the company that I used to work for. And he was super generous with the, with the team, with the, uh, with the customers. And when, um, when I was going to go out on my own and start Skyverge, and, and we had a conversation, uh, and he sat, you know, we sat down, he was going through some advice that he had, and some of it was super specific, and some of it was more general. And that's one of the things that he said. And he said, in business, it's great to have margin, as he defined it. And I think that that allows you to be generous and it allows you to do other things. And so that's something that we believe in so much that we've, we've made uh, generosity one of our core values at Skyverge. And so it's something that we're always trying to, we, we try to fall back on that. You know, if you're thinking, can we do this? Can we not do this? You try to be generous. And I think that that comes back to you in all different sorts of ways that, you know, it's not, it's not measurable. You, you know, you're not trying to do that. Um, just thinking about it in that way. I see the two then really is tying in, right? Because to, to, to Becca's advice of, you know, Tom to go to hell tomorrow, it's also an opportunity to a lot, give ourselves time to assess our emotional reaction. You know, 
Was it accurate? Was it right? Was it justified? Setting aside any kind of intellectual, was their thought process as strong as it should have been? But it just allows us to to be generous with ourselves as well as with the others and, and to come at it in a more rational way. And then to, to tie that generosity max around to not just financial generosity, we're going to give to this charity at this year end kind of thing, but give to our clients, give to our staff, give to our team and give to ourselves. I really like that. I think generosity in the workplace is vastly under, underappreciated. Aside from just being nice to nice for niceness sake, but there's a real commercial value to it. And I don't mean that in a vicious capitalistic way. And I know you weren't saying it that kind of way, but the, the value of that is, is pretty wonderful. Yeah. We find it a lot with content um, is a big one, you know, that, that we've always tried to publish a lot um, and, and share knowledge, which is um, sort of one of our operating principles that, that comes out of that. And I think that uh, we've not done as, as well of a job as we hoped this year, but definitely a lot of things we've done in building a company culture and building a team and hiring remotely um, are things that we're trying to share a lot more of because of that. Thank you guys so much for sharing that with us. I love both of those pieces of advice and it's been, it's been great getting to know you a little bit. We are out of time, but we really appreciate you're sharing your story and telling us about what you do and um, look forward to meeting you sometime soon at one of the word camps that you're sponsoring. <laughs> thanks for joining us, Becca. Thanks, Max. Yeah, Where thanks, can people find you online? Thanks for us. Uh, so the best places to find us uh, are at jilt.com uh, and skyverge.com. Often if you uh, are chatting with us via one of those channels, uh, the two of us, if we're, not trying to respond are usually trying to keep uh, up with all of the things that are coming through, you know, these inboxes and having a good pulse on, on, you know, what customers are saying about our team and products. Um, on Twitter, you can find me at um, B-E-K-A underscore R-I-C-E. And I'm uh, Max Rice on Twitter, M-A-X-R-I-C-E. Thank you. Excellent. Thank you. We'll see you guys later. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the show. We sure hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. If you like what we're doing here, meeting new people in our WordPress community, we invite you to tell others about it. We're on iTunes and at hallwaychats.com. Better yet, ask your WordPress friends and colleagues to join us on the show. Encourage them to complete the Beyond the Show form on our site to tell us about themselves. <laughs>